Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Warning. This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence against children. If you're squeamish, I'd recommend you listen to another episode. As a concept, the idea of connecting every appliance in your home to the internet seems like a pretty good one. Smart technology, aka the so-called Internet of Things, allows us to do all sorts of stuff that would have seemed like science fiction just a couple decades ago. Now you can control your thermostat just by talking to it, have your refrigerator order more milk for you when it gets low, and monitor your home security system from a tablet anywhere around the world. But technology can also be a double-edged sword. Even the most innocent of things can be exploited by people with nefarious purposes. Recently, a Russian website was discovered that showed live footage that had been hacked from 70,000 cameras inside people's homes. A Minnesota mother was awoken in the middle of the night when she heard strange music coming from inside her child's nursery. She got up to check and realized the music was coming from the baby monitor. And as soon as she stepped into the room, the music ceased. Police were able to trace the IP address of the hacked signal and were shocked to discover a website containing tens of thousands of feeds from similar cameras all over the world. Then there's the case of a couple from New York City who didn't understand why their three-year-old son kept telling them he was afraid of the man inside his baby monitor. That is until one night when they walked into the room and heard a strange man's voice coming over the monitor saying, Wake up, little boy. Daddy's looking for you. Then the voice announced, Look, someone's coming. These are the kind of nightmare scenarios technology can create. Sure, it's great that we can ask Alexa to tell us the weather, or for a great recipe for pancakes. But remember, the device is always listening, and it's not always clear who else might be doing the same. At the same time, it's also true that the story I'm about to tell you now may never have been revealed, were it not for someone inadvertently spying on someone else. It all began with a baby monitor, and it turned into one of the most bizarre and disturbing stories you've ever heard in your life. It's a story that involves torture, brainwashing, strange cults, secret identities, and dark secrets that may never be revealed. I'm Nate Hale, and I swear I'm not watching you right now. And this is The Conspirators. Kurum is a tiny town in the Czech Republic that only boasts around 10,000 people. The homes and buildings are simple and drab. There really isn't much to see or do there besides perhaps visiting the town church and a nearby castle, which date back to the 13th and 15th centuries, respectively. It's quiet and relatively isolated, 
all of which play a role in the terrible things that occurred there. On May 7th, 2007, one of the local residents named Edward Turdy was setting up a new baby monitor. His wife had gone into labor just that morning and he wanted everything to be perfect when he brought his new son home. But when Edward switched on the video monitor, he witnessed something very, very wrong. Instead of his son's nursery, Edward was looking at grainy footage of what appeared to be a basement containing a small naked boy around six or seven years old. The boy's hands were bound and he appeared to be playing with a roll of tape. Edward didn't know what to make of this. At the time, it didn't look like the boy was in distress, so he got up and walked away and puzzled it over. But when he checked the feet again a little while later, he realized the little boy was still in the basement, still naked, only now he was eating something off the floor. Finally, Edward decided to record the footage and call the police. Officers quickly deduced that the footage Edward was picking up had to be coming from somewhere nearby. They began to canvas the area. This would eventually lead them to a home belonging to Clara Morova, a 29-year-old woman who had moved into the neighborhood about a year and a half earlier. Clara was reclusive, and none of her neighbors knew her very well. When asked if she had a little boy living in the house, Clara told them no. The only child she had, she said was her 13-year-old daughter, Anika. Police asked if they could please speak with Anika, but Clara said the girl was very ill and she would not allow it. Having nothing else to go on, the police left. But while all this was going on, Edward was still back in his home watching the video monitor, and he had just overheard and recorded the entire conversation Clara just had with police. With this evidence in hand, Clara could no longer object to allowing the police to search her home. Police went through the house and located a locked door that appeared to lead into a closet or a room beneath the staircase. They asked Clara to open it for them, but she told them the landlord had the only key and that she had never been in the room herself. The police brought in the fire department to open it for them. While this was going on, Clara phoned her older sister, Katerina, and told her to come to the house right away. When the firefighters arrived, the 13-year-old daughter, Anika, came crawling down the stairs and plopped down in front of the locked door. The girl was a sight to behold. A thin, sickly girl in a red and yellow dress wearing large glasses and a cap on her bald head. Anika only made unintelligible noises, and when officers tried to pick her up and move her out of the way, She reacted violently, kicking, hitting, and clawing at them. When they finally pulled her away, Anika ran away from them, crying, Mama, Mama. Oddly, police noted that she ran, not to her supposed mother Clara, but rather to her aunt Katerina. Firefighters busted open the locked door. Everyone was immediately overwhelmed with the stench of human excrement. Inside the small room, the floor was coated in dried vomit and human waste. It was early summer and the heat in the room was oppressive. There in the middle of the room was the same small naked boy they had all observed on the baby monitor. The boy didn't act like anything was wrong, and in fact, when police photographers tried to snap a picture of the scene, the boy looked straight up at the camera and grinned. Clara admitted to them that the boy was her son Andrej. 
although she had a difficult time explaining exactly why he was naked and tied up in the room beneath the stairs. Police arrested Clara and Katerina and took Andrej and his sister Anika to the hospital for treatment. They soon learned that Andrej also had an older brother named Jacob, who was away at school while all this was going on. They located Jacob and brought him in to be with his brother. It was evident that these children had been through some serious trauma. When Andrej arrived at the hospital, he became extremely fearful and exhibited signs of delirium. He thought the pictures on the walls were ghosts, and the nurses had to take them down in order to calm him. The nurses tried to comfort the boy as best they could, but at one point he trembled and pleaded with them to, Please, just kill me. Andrej's body showed signs of terrible physical abuse. He had long scars on his arms and back, pale circular welts surrounding his groin, and a large, ugly circular scar on his buttocks. There were similar scars all over Jacob's body as well, minus the large circular wound on his buttocks. Jacob claimed the long scars had come from a pet gerbil, and that the welts around his groin were wasp stings. Over time, the awful truth would be revealed. The boys had suffered horrific abuse at the hands of their mother, Clara. At one time, they had both been held in dog cages before eventually being moved to the room beneath the stairs. There, they had been forced to eat and defecate on the floor of the tiny room. The long, thin scars on their bodies came from Clara raking their skin with a sharpened fork. She would also burn them with lit cigarettes around their genitals. The large circular scar on Andrej's buttocks was from a patch of skin that had been sliced off and that the boy was then forced to eat. According to Andrej, this all began toward the end of the previous summer. When the family moved into the house in Kurum in December 2006, they were at first confined to the bathroom before being moved into the dog cages, then to the tiny locked room beneath the stairs. The only day he had ever been allowed out of that room was on Christmas. Along with Clara and Katerina, both boys mentioned a third woman who had been involved in their abuse. This was a woman they referred to as Aunt Nancy, who turned out to be a social worker named Hanna Basova, who used to work with Katerina at a daycare center. Although authorities were able to get the boys to open up and reveal the horrors they'd been forced to endure, it wasn't so with 13-year-old Anika, who also responded to the name Anna. The situation appeared to be quite a bit different with Anna than it had been with the two boys. She was Clara's adopted daughter, although six-year-old Andrej and eight-year-old Jacob were her natural-born sons. Clara and Katerina told authorities that Anna was mentally challenged, and that the girl's birth parents in Norway had both sexually and physically abused her. On top of all that, the girl was suffering from a laundry list of illnesses, including leukemia, kidney failure, and was even going blind and deaf. It was difficult for authorities to question Anna. She was mostly non-responsive, and when she did respond to questions, most of it was gibberish. From what little they could see, it appeared the girl didn't bear the same sort of scars that her brothers had. Although the nurses were unable to get close enough to undress her and check her whole body over, Anna would lash out violently if anyone tried to touch her. It was soon revealed that Anna had been treated differently by Clara than the two boys had been. For example, Anna had been allowed to sleep upstairs in her own bedroom, had toys to play with, and was given clothes to wear. Authorities had hoped to question Anna further and get her to reveal more of what had been going on inside the Kiram house. 
only they never got the chance. They took the three children from the hospital to an institution where they would be cared for. But three days later, Anna disappeared. No one knew where the girl went, if she had left the institution on her own, or if she'd had help. A massive search was initiated of the woods surrounding the institution in case Anna was out there wandering around by herself. But they didn't find her. When authorities did manage to locate Anna much later on, they were shocked at what they discovered. It turns out that Anna had an enormous secret. You see, Anna wasn't really Anna. And she wasn't a 13-year-old girl. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. When Anna was in the hospital, doctors had given her a pad of paper and a pencil to draw with. They found it curious when they noticed she had entertained herself by scribbling down strings of binary code, the ones and zeros computers run on. They assumed Anna must have been some sort of savant. Further concerns arose, though, when police began to question people who might have known the family and showed them pictures of Anna. Some people mentioned how much 13-year-old Anna resembled a 31-year-old woman named Barbara Skorlova a former university theater arts major who had also once been Katerina Morova's roommate. It was true. Anika, a.k.a. Anna, the terminally ill victim of abuse, was secretly a full-grown adult woman in disguise. But how could such a fraud ever occur? And how did she manage to fool so many people for so long? And what could have driven Clara to become so sadistically abusive toward her own children? The story gets even weirder from there. The version of events Clara had been led to believe was that her sister Katerina had come in contact with a mysterious doctor, who introduced her to Anna after he had helped the girl escape from her abusive parents in Norway. In addition, this doctor was also some sort of official diplomat, as well as being part of a shadowy organization that had been working to protect Anna from her birth parents, who were both violent drug addicts and were still out there looking for her. Katerina brought Anna to live with her sister Clara, and from there, Clara adopted the young girl. I know, it's hard for even me to fully wrap my brain around all this, but by most accounts, Clara was just that gullible and easily manipulated. Katerina, on the other hand, knew full well about Anna's true identity, but she kept it a secret from Clara and even encouraged her sister to go along with the instructions that were allegedly coming to her from this mysterious doctor. According to Clara, this doctor who had been taking care of Anna always kept a low profile and almost never agreed to meet in person. Instead, all his instructions came to Clara via text messages or email. It was later proven that all the electronic communications had actually come from Katerina and Anna's phones and computers. And yet, Clara told authorities that she had actually met the doctor, just once, but it was late at night in a secret rendezvous in a car, and it was too dark to see his face. 
After the adoption was complete, Anna began to completely take over Clara's life. The girl was temperamental and demanded constant attention, and she'd lash out angrily if she didn't get it. This caused a rift between Clara and her own sons. When Andrej and Jacob began acting out, she turned to the mysterious doctor for advice. The doctor told Clara she needed to take a stern hand with them. Show them how hard life can be, he told her, and they'd turn their attitudes around. The punishments grew in increasing ferocity over time, from confinement and beatings with a belt buckle, all the way up to the sexual abuse and cannibalism the police discovered. It was a remarkably elaborate deception. The judge who had overseen the adoption swore that she had met an actual teenage girl who was not Anna. There were also numerous other legal hurdles that Clara and Katerina somehow managed to overcome, involving DNA testing and the mountain of paperwork they would have needed to make the fraudulent adoption legitimate. Because of all this, police knew they had to be receiving help from somewhere. This would lead investigators to begin pursuing another connection between Anna, a.k.a. Barbara Skrlova, and Katerina. It was revealed that Katerina had once belonged to a religious sect known as the Ants, that was also an offshoot of another religious group known as the Grail Movement. The head of this religious sect was a man named Joseph Skirla, and he just so happened to be Barbara's real father. Prior to World War II, an Austrian man named Oskar Ernst Bernhardt published a book titled In the Light of the Truth, in which he described his newfound religion he called the Grail Movement. By most accounts, the Grail movement is a cross between Christianity and New Age mysticism and is centered around a belief in spiritual energies and reincarnation. Bernhardt began calling himself Abed Rushin, the Servant of the Light, and he claimed to his followers that he had lived many lives and was in fact the reincarnation of Moses. Incidentally, despite their name, the Grail movement doesn't believe the Holy Grail described in the Bible is an actual physical chalice. Rather, they think of it as a spiritual symbol that can transfer power from one being to the next. Oh, and on top of all that, they also believe gnomes, fairies, and wood sprites are real. In 1938, after Adolf Hitler annexed Austria, the Nazis seized a large plot of land Bernhard owned, where he had planned on building a giant castle for himself and his followers. But before construction could begin, Hitler banned Bernhard's book and placed him under arrest. Bernhardt was exiled to the Saxony Mountains where he was strictly forbidden from writing anything else or speaking out about his religion. He died in exile before the end of the war. But the Grail Movement didn't die out with the loss of its founder. Even today, the Grail Movement still boasts thousands of members worldwide across numerous countries. During the 1990s, a schism occurred within the group over the direction they should be taking and several sects broke off and started their own versions of the religion. One of these sects was the group headed by Joseph Skirla, Barbara's father. It's believed that many of the members of his group started out as a hiking group he once led that he called the Ants. Although it's never been proven, it's suspected that the mysterious doctor Clara Morova claimed to have met in the dark that one night may have been Joseph himself. The original Grail movement was quick to denounce Joseph Skirla's sect once word broke out in the news about his ties to the case of Barbara Skirlova and child abuse. Police attempted to arrest Joseph Skirla, but they were never able to locate him. Czech police would learn that in order to make the adoption legitimate, the two women had brought in another ringer, the daughter of Victor Scala, another member of the Ants. 
It was she who the adoption judge met, and it was her DNA that was submitted for testing. This enormous deception allegedly began after Clara visited Katerina one day in her apartment and appeared not to recognize Katerina's roommate Barbara, even though they had met before. Barbara had always been extremely needy, and she and Katerina saw Clara's gullibility as something they could exploit. After that, Anika, the sick 13-year-old girl, was born. But for this scheme to work, they needed both help and money, which leads to a much larger implication for what was really going on. The police suspected but were never able to prove that Joseph Skirla's aunts were involved in a broader child pornography operation. Consider that the group was receiving money from somewhere, and there had to be a reason why they had set up a remote video camera with a live feed of the room where the boys were being abused. Also consider that when the police photographer took a picture of the scene, Andresia's reaction was to pose and smile for the camera, like he'd been coached to do so. The problem was police were never able to discover a distribution network for the videos. But that doesn't mean such an operation didn't exist, though. In the days following Barbara's escape from the institution where she and the boys were being held, a mysterious handwritten letter came into a local newspaper purportedly from Anna, explaining why she had run away. Even before police knew the truth about her, they questioned the letter's authenticity because of how neatly it was written. With no misspellings or corrections, it seemed unlikely a girl in her mental state could have written it. The next purported sighting of Barbara occurred on June 15th when she turned up seeking a new passport at the Czech embassy in Copenhagen, Denmark, 480 miles away from where she had last been seen. At the time, she was in the company of four other men, her father, Joseph Skirla, her father's lawyer, a former Czech police officer, and another member of the Ants. At the embassy, Barbara gave an official statement further explaining her masquerade. She said that she felt sorry for deceiving everyone, but she had always felt like a child inside. She had worked with Katerina and Hanna Basova in a daycare, and it was there that she used her acting skills from her theater lessons to develop her persona as a young girl, as a way to better relate to the other children. In fact, while Barbara was giving embassy authorities this explanation, she was tightly clutching a teddy bear, and her personality seemed to regress from that of an adult to a little girl right before everyone's eyes. She began speaking in baby talk and begging her daddy for ice cream. She admitted to climbing out a window of the institution, then hiding in the woods before escaping by train. She never gave an explanation how she managed to cross multiple national borders with no passport. Since Barbara was not officially wanted by police at the time, that meant she was free to leave the Copenhagen Embassy on her own accord. Barbara and her father Joseph Skirla dropped out of the public's eye after that. Then on January 5th, 2008, a man walked into a car rental office in Tromsø, Norway to drop off a vehicle he had rented in Oslo several weeks earlier. Immediately after, a group of policemen burst into the office, drew their guns, and ordered the man to lie down on the ground. The man's name was Michael Riha, and he was arrested on a charge of kidnapping a 13-year-old boy. The boy's name was Adam, and according to records, his father was a Czech-born playwright who had lived in Norway for a time before he took his wife back to the Czech Republic, leaving his son behind. After that, Adam began living in an Oslo orphanage and attending school nearby. By most accounts, 
Adam appeared to be a normal teenage boy who got along well with other boys his age, and had a particular fondness for skateboarding. Some of his teachers were concerned about the young man's health because Adam's head was shaved, and he had perpetual dark circles beneath his eyes that made them wonder if he might have cancer. He also appeared to be unusually skittish at times, and would jump like a cat around loud noises. Once, when a teacher slammed the classroom door, Adam practically fell out of his seat, then had an emotional breakdown. Later, he would tell his teachers he had suffered sexual abuse at the hands of his father, and he was in perpetual fear that his father would find him. He told a horrific story of being passed around and raped by a group of his father's friends. Then he drew a picture of himself and six other children he said were all victims of the same abusers. Then on December 16th, Adam ran away from an outing the orphanage had organized for a group of children in its care. He jumped into a car that had been waiting nearby, then sped off. It was immediately believed that Adam had been abducted by the ring of sex traffickers he had described. Police launched a nationwide manhunt to save Adam, and photos of the boy were circulated in newspapers and TV news broadcasts across Europe. This would lead police to follow up on tips that led them to arrest one of Adam's alleged abusers, Michael Reha, in the city of Tromso, a thousand miles away from where the boy had last been seen. Although at first everyone was overjoyed that Adam had been saved, that joy quickly faded once authorities from the Czech police came looking for the boy. They too had seen the photos of Adam, and they knew right away that Adam was really Barbara Skrlova, up to her old tricks again. This time, Barbara was placed under arrest along with Clara and Katerina Morova and three other members of the Ants, Jan Turek, Anna Basova, and Jan Skirla, Joseph Skirla's son. Clara was emotionally devastated by what she had done to her children. She gave a full confession to everything she had done, although she insisted she had been coerced into doing so by Katerina and Barbara. Likewise, Katerina pointed the finger at Barbara as the one who had been in charge all along. And in fact, there does seem to be some evidence backing this up. Some reports claim that Barbara got a sexual thrill from watching the live feed of the boys being abused. In fact, one of the instructions the mysterious doctor gave to Clara was that occasionally she would need to vigorously rub Barbara's genitals as part of her therapy. Barbara, of course, denied everything. She claimed she was as much a victim as Andrzej and Jacob had been. As evidence, she allowed doctors to examine her body and she showed them several scars and other marks she claimed were signs of abuse. But these scars were different from the signs of torture the two boys exhibited. Doctors pointed out on the witness stand that some of the smaller wounds on Barbara's arms and legs were relatively minor and appeared to be fresh wounds. Also, many of those marks would heal and move around her body while she was on trial. Authorities believe she was wounding herself when no one was looking, most likely by stabbing herself with a pen. There were a few older scars in her body, but these turned out to be surgical scars from breast reduction surgery she had undergone in order to aid her disguise. After weighing the evidence and testimony against them, all the defendants were found guilty, although you can argue that their sentences weren't anywhere near long enough considering the crimes they were accused of. Katerina Morova received the longest prison sentence of 10 years. Her sister Clara received 9 years in prison. While all the remaining defendants, including Barbara Skrlova, received 5-year sentences. Today, each one of them has served their sentences and has gone free. 
Clara's sons, Andrej and Jacob, were placed in the custody of other relatives. They've only had limited contact with their mother ever since. They're reported to have undergone psychological counseling and are doing as well as can be expected under the circumstances. Unfortunately, they'll bear the physical and emotional scars of what was done to them for the rest of their lives. Police were never able to locate Joseph Skirla, and presumably he's still out there somewhere. We don't even know if he's still in charge of the ants or even how extensive his particular religious sect was. Police were also never able to definitively determine whether or not the group had been part of an actual child pornography ring as they suspected. The International Grail Movement continues to deny having any connection with Skirla's group or any other offshoot that resorts to violence. In 2008, a man named Jerry Adam was arrested on modern charges of slavery. Adam was the leader of yet another Grail Movement sect operating in Brno, which is the largest city near Curum. Although it's unclear what, if any, connection there was between Adam's group and Joseph Skirla's aunts, Adam was accused of forcing a group of his female followers into a life of hard labor building a house out of bricks, as well as a road leading to it on the cult's property. The women were reportedly starved and tortured to keep them in line. One of the women died while working, and rather than report her death to police, they covered the death up and secretly buried her body on the property. But once again, justice may never be done in this case either. Shortly after his arrest, Adam suffered a stroke and was placed on life support. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, and Entirely Fictional Identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thanks so much to Brenda, Valerie, and Vicky. You're all amazing. And thanks again to all my other patrons as well. If you're interested in helping support the show, you can follow the link to my Patreon page in the show notes. Patrons get all sorts of nifty bonuses like stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our bonus mini-episodes. Another great way you can help support the show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Each review and subscriptions helps boost us in Apple's magical algorithms. If you're not on Apple, you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and many of your other favorite podcast apps. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. Besides that, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so feel free to follow us and even drop us a line to let us know how we're doing. Thanks again, and I hope you'll be back again next time.